We got some more fans streaking in here. I like it. Good morning. We got the Hall of Fame middle linebackers. Minus one. Brian Erlacher regrets his unavailability under the weather, so could not make it. Otherwise, uh, I think for the first time, the three of these guys would have been together at the same time. Good morning, Mike Singletary. Good morning, Mr. Butkus. How are you guys? You guys have microphones. Tom Thayer's gonna lead us off. But before you do, I got a little prepared statement about what the middle linebacker meant in Bears football. So first of all, all three of these guys that we were going to interview, the Hall of Fame middle linebackers, defined by intelligence, toughness, instincts, and dedication. All with iconic hits, interceptions, forced fumbles, fumble returns, carrying on the legacy of the cornerstone position in Bears football lore. It started here, it continues here. Bill George, advised by George Connor, to back up after quarterbacks kept throwing the ball over his head and he didn't like it. That became the position that is uniquely Bears, uniquely Monsters of the Midway. I think everyone would agree. Yes, there's been a lot of great positions, but middle linebacker defines the toughness of this football team. Big Tom? Mr. Butkus, I've always wanted to ask you this question. I, I have a dog, his name's Ernie, I go to the dog park, and every time I go to the dog park, I hear someone yelling, Butkus. Did you ever meet Sylvester Stallone before they made the movie Rocky when he came out with the dog named Butkus? Yes, I, I met uh, Sly over there at Universal one day, and he was walking through it, and then, uh, I says, hey, what's with the dog, man? You know, and I, I says, uh, he says, well, he's, he's going to be in the other one, too. So he's going to put him in two movies. I said, well, where's the residuals at, man? You know, and he just slapped. <laughs> so he's not the only one. I've had you know, a number of people uh, come up and do that. That's the unique thing about the Bears is that we have so many great players in the history of the Bears. You can tell people, you can just say one name. You can say Singletary. You can say Butkus. You can say Erlacher, Plank, Fensick and everybody knows who you're talking about. So it's always something that you kind of wonder in the, in the history of, you know, here, this, this great movie, and it's kind of an honor. I would say it's, it's a huge honor to, be, to have such a well-known name that they can name a dog after you, and, you know, you go on and win picture of the year. Well, um, you know, the guy who was before, before us, Bill George, Back in those days, the exposure that those players were getting is, was cannot even match, you know, what, what goes on today. So, you know, there's so many avenues now. There's even more, uh, a lot more exposure than when I was even playing, uh, you know, with, with the cell phones and everything else. So, you know, when you, when you win nowadays, it's, I mean, everybody in the world knows about it. And, uh, you know, and if, if, you know, just like when you guys won the, won the you know, the Super Bowl, uh, you know, Saturday Night Live, Ditka, and every, all these other opportunities come, it just, it just shows you what the fan base the NFL has. It's just really uh, enormous. And uh, you, as I look out, you know, you look at the jerseys and everything else, even in my era, that really wasn't a big deal. So it's... They're doing a hell of a job of marketing, I guess, because it's, uh, and so if you're a, a, a current player and, you know, you're good, you're all, you're all pro or whatever, sky's the limit. Everybody in the world knows about you, you know, and sometimes that's, you know, you like to have your own privacy too, but, so I'm glad they didn't have cell phones when I was playing, I'll tell you that. <laughs> or anything else that's out there. Mike, I'm sure you would agree because you, you had your fun, obviously. You loved playing the game, but you were a serious football player. It was, it was a job that you attached yourself to professionally from the moment you got here, isn't it? Well, I, I think um, you know, football is, uh, for a lot of people, when you ask them, you know, what do you guys do? You know, well, we entertain. Well, for me, um, for the fan, it's entertainment. But for me, it's, it's serious business because 
every game that you play, there's no guarantee that you're going to come off the same way you went on. And uh, the off-season work, um, all of the, the, the amount of time that goes into it, the commitment to film study, all of those things uh, make a tremendous difference. And uh, you have to do your work and, and earn the right to, to, uh, to win. You know, Mike, one thing I always, when people ask me about you, I say Mike Singletary was the most well-prepared professional athlete I ever played with. And it was your diligence in always being in shape, in your commitment to film study, and to being educated about the next opponent. And, you know, you capitalized on the newness of the technology and how much that helped you. And then, Mr. Buckus, the technology that we had in, in, our, in our time, would you have liked to use that throughout your career, or was it more of seeing attack? Oh, I, I would have liked to have had that technology because, uh, as it was, you know, we would, you know, certain, there, there's certain players, and I don't care who they are. I mean, like John Unitas, we had, we had a definite tip on him. Uh, when he dropped back to pass, he'd always look to the left, to the right, and where, and go back to the left. Wherever he looked first, and then he'd look away, he'd always go back. And the son of a gun still beat him. I mean, he's, we intercepted three passes in the first half, and he still beat us by a touchdown at the end of the game. So we would watch films, and I, I was like one of the first, and I think I still have the old... 16 millimeter right. <laughs> contraption and I used to pick up uh, a lot of things because back then everybody you know I don't care what who it is you'll always fall back to what you feel normal I mean what's normal for you and there was simple things like centers uh, you know if it was a pass they'd, they'd use one hand on the ball and if it's a run they use two hands well you're watching the film and you see this happen and you see a couple games and you see how well hey this this is holding true as simple as that as a center having one hand or two hands on the ball and on the pro level yet they still do it and we were able you know i'd say to abe look at the guy's got one hand it's a pass and then he'd run the film and sure enough it was a pass so I, and I imagine today, with the technology they have today, you can find out what hand they scratched their ass with. You know, I mean, really. Uh, because, like I say, I don't care who it is. They, they, you have natural traits, and it's hard to get away from it. So if you can catch that and figure it out, uh, it gives you a tremendous advantage. Mike, with the technology, did it, did it increase your traits, or did it make you a more intelligent football player according to the offenses that you faced and the coaching that you were getting? I think, um, you know, one of the things about technology is uh, as a player, you always have to come back to football. I, I think a lot of times uh, coordinators get themselves in trouble because they, they rely too heavily on the tendencies and just go, oh, okay, well, they do this all the time. Uh, when they line up in this formation, they're going to run this play. And what happens is if the team goes off that track, then you, you feel like, oh, my goodness, what do I do now? And so I, I think it, um, you really have to do your homework and, and kind of backtrack and, and be prepared and watch a certain amount of games that uh, you can cover your your tail when when things don't work out the way you think they do did it ever did you ever overthink it because you studied so much and you put so much time with the coaches and stuff did you always almost have to control yourself there's a saying of linebackers don't go until you know did you ever almost have to hold back because you had the speed to get where you needed to get i think at the beginning of the game i went on what i knew i went on what i saw in film and i just believed that they can't deviate too much from what they've been doing in, the, in that past three or four games. And in the game, if it didn't follow suit for whatever reason, then it was like, wow, now I got to really settle down and play football and find new tendencies because 
they're breaking them this week. They're changing them. Explain how you hit. Explain how I hit? Yep, because there, there is a quote that I found about you, and you explained how you uncoiled like a snake and delivered a hit because of your size and how you utilize your size and leverage. And, and, we're, and we're watching you on these highlights right now. I, I think for me, um, you know, everything I learned about tackling, I learned in the seventh grade. And uh, the coach, and really it was from playing guard and not middle linebacker. Um, as an offensive lineman. Can you repeat that? <laughs> I know, I hate to say it. I don't say it out guard. too loud. But uh, it was from playing offensive guard. Um, the coach told me to make sure that I had my neck in my shoulders, my back flat, and my eyes always had to see what I was hitting. And so as long as I did that and, you know, bring my arms through, my hips had to come through the whole nine yards, every time you hit, then the chances are you're going to come out healthy. You're going to come out good. And the guy that you're hitting is going to feel the blow a lot more than you. And so that's something that I worked on. I think today what happens a lot is guys don't work on it. They don't develop muscle memory. You know, it, it takes time to develop that muscle memory to tackle the same way every time. And when you don't do that, then sometimes your head's going to be down, your head's going to be to the side. And that's where a lot of the concussions and things like that come in. But if your face is up, your eyes are open, you see what you're hitting, your neck is in your shoulders, chances are you're going to come out okay. It seems, it seems like every... There's two positions to every great player, Mr. Buckus. So I heard Jeff was telling me that you said you were going to play middle linebacker for 10 years and then you were going to play offensive center for another five. Did, did knowing the center position help you be a better middle linebacker? Oh, I don't know if it was that big of a big of an advantage. Uh, you know, at Illinois, we played both ways, and, you know, that was really a quote by Abe Gibran, who was our line coach, that I could have played center also. Um, but I don't think it was all that big of a deal. Um, I just, you know, I, I just remember about the tackling deal. I just remember my days back at CBS when I was a fullback. And what really bothered me as a, uh, a running back uh, and getting tackled was when someone would almost like bear hug you and they'd you know, wrap your arms up so that when you're starting to fall, you could not use your hand to break the fall. Or if you did, uh, there's a 50-50 chance the ball would pop out. So I always remembered that, and that's how I used to tackle in, in college. Was that I'd put my head to their chest and alleviate the air if they were quick enough to make a move right or left. So I always aimed for the center, and if it was completed that way, then I could really bury them and put them on their back. Uh, if they made a quick cut and I hit them on the side, uh, I'd get them down. But you always, I always felt if you can intimidate the runner, I don't care who he is or what level. Nobody likes to get hit that often. And somewhere along the line, I always thought that, you know, those, back, those days back in high school, you keep hitting somebody hard enough, the ultimate goal is to get the turnover. And, you know, for, well, I don't know how many years I had the record for recovering fumbles that I'd caused, except when uh, the damn Minnesota and there played for 50 years, broke my record. but. Uh, that was, that was the deal, was to punish somebody. Because, you know, you could see it in the back's eyes, and I'm sure Mike had this in his career. Backs are looking at you and, and like, uh-oh. Uh, and that was it. You know, everybody said I was like an intimidator or whatever. I was just going, going by what bothered me as a running back in high school. I did not want to be hit and put on my back. Uh, and that's what I tried to do all the time. And, well, you know, a lot of circumstances, it doesn't happen. I know. I, we all agree. You can never get tired of watching Dick Butkus highlights. Even you, Mike, right? I mean, honestly, 
Tom and I, the other day, we put it on. I, I put it on. We was up at Hallis Hall. And I'm like, will you get a, just look at how damaging of a tackler he is. You just blew through people. I mean, it's, it makes you stand up and go, wow. And you had a lot of nicknames. Oh, you had a lot of nicknames. I don't know which one you like the best, but you go through time and everybody had a comment or a depiction of, of Dick Buckus. So the enforcer, the animal, the maestro of mayhem, the robot of destruction. How about just flat out good old Dick Butkus? Because that to me sounds the best. But you were the, you, you, I mean, you had to know because you were the most feared tackler in football. Well, the only reason I was the most feared tackler in football was because evidently no one got the message. Nobody else tackled that way. I mean, Look at I, this one. What do, you, what do you think when you see that? You know, when I first saw that, uh, I asked everybody when they come up and have me sign that picture, I said, uh, you can have the autograph free if you can name the ball carrier. Wow. Let's test you. Who, who do you think the ball carrier is? I'm going... Uh... And I, now I'm, this, going, this, I'm going, I'm going this, to the guy on the right. This, this picture is, is really, I mean, clear. I mean, the other ones, the actual 8x10s, it's, it's, I, you know, let me just tell you, I, I've asked about a good 200 people, let's say, to be conservative. And maybe three guessed the guy in the back. Well, you can see the ball, so we know who it is here, right? Huh? Right here, right? Well, yeah, but who is he? <laughs> oh, who is he? Who is who he? Who is he? I don't know. Who is it? What, what the hell am I? No, not Taylor. See, that's the obvious. It's not Paul Horning. Is that a question, or are you asking? <laughs> that's, that would be one of my answers in a high school test. Just I write something down and hope I got it right. Zit. No. Any, any? Grabowski? Anderson? Who? Anderson? Grabowski? Grabowski. That's Jim Grabowski. Well, what do you think when you see that, Mike? Oh, to answer the question, three seconds after that shot, I was like this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you got five guys pushing yeah. on you. That's a win. Yeah. Mike Singletary, that's some serious wingspan right there, a middle linebacker. Yeah, it is. It's, um, <clears throat> that, that's an arm pull. Um, so, interesting. What, what did you have against the Lions? In one game, he knocked out the center, the fullback, the quarterback, and the halfback in the same game. Yeah, well, you know, when I was, uh, the first couple of years, I was a snapper for extra points and the punts and all that stuff. So, you'd come out early for pregame warm-ups we're at Wrigley Field and playing in Detroit, and uh, so I'm snapping, warming up, and the old man comes walking by, and he says, hey, did you, uh, well, he called me kid, he says, hey, kid, do you, do you know what that Flanagan said about you? And I'm like, what? And he w just turned and walked away. I said, what did he say? He just kept on walking, so. I'd always, you know, go after Flanagan, the center, the center. The center. And uh, there was one game one year where they were, you know, we were, they were beating us by a couple touchdowns and they're on our like two yard line and they're trying to run the uh, clock out. So I just would call timeout. You know, Bradovich and the Buffon, what the hell? Come on, let's get out of here. You know, I said, no, nah, I'm gonna crack at that Flanagan, you know? And I just wanted to take another shot. Poor guy, he was a good guy, but he never knew what the hell was, what it was all about. Because, uh, you know, back then, after I was taken off this uh, being a snapper, I figured out that on fourth down, of course, we were always playing, uh, so on fourth down, I'd be moved over, and when that center snapped for the punt, I'd just bury his ass, you know, because <laughs> I knew that was, <laughs> you're vulnerable. <laughs> Out. So then they start devising plays so, and see what happens when they've got to start 
messing around on how to how to keep me from hitting the center it throws everything else off also so there was always a there was a rhyme and a reason that I did a lot of things and a lot of it came naturally and a lot of it uh, I made up uh, you're very quotable because you're very you're very good interview uh, you've got you know, your acting background you're, you're an entertainer at the same time as a football player but everybody had a quote about Dick Butkus and one of your teammates Doug Buffon, the late Doug Buffon, who uh, probably one of the most underrated Chicago Bears around, a rugged player. That says a lot right there. Thank you, Lord, he's on my side. Uh, when you used to hear these quotes or these things said about you, what'd you think of it? And what do you think of it now, all these years later? Well, I thought at the beginning, you know, being called an animal and everything else, I always thought they were questioning your intelligence, and I really didn't care for that. Uh, you know, because that's the way it was back then. You played, you know, if you played football, you were dumb and all that business, and uh, nothing's further than the truth. I mean, we, so I, I don't know, I just, it's kind of a compliment or whatever. It just tells me that it's kind of, it's a reassurance that people are, understanding what I'm doing on the field. Like I always said, the fans in Chicago, they're, they're smart fans. They know what the hell's going on. Uh, rather than like go to LA, the Coliseum, and it's, you know, who's, who's to be seen and all that stuff. But um, now I guess it's a, you know, it's a tribute to be an animal, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> I don't know. I give a now it's, I'm over past that stuff now. Mike, your introduction to the Bears. Um, I remember reading the paper. I was a younger, and they just drafted this Mike Singletary, middle linebacker. And when you look at the size, you know, 6'3", 245, and then you see 6'5", 258, and then you see the size of Mike Singletary. What was your introduction to George Hallis, and then what was your, re your introduction to Buddy Ryan in terms of the eye test, and then what you were able to accomplish, was it the same as your first meeting with those guys? Well, I think when I, when I first got to the Bears, you know, of course, uh, my introduction to Buddy Ryan was a little short, fat guy. Um, you know, being 5'11", and I came in, I was like 235. And, um, you know, after begging Buddy to allow me to play on the nickel defense, yeah, I had to get down to 225. And that's what I finished my career playing. But, you know, it was, I had in my mind what I wanted to accomplish when I came here. I, I had a vision of what I felt I could do. And um, the great tradition being in a, a, a defensive city, um, with the exception of Walter Payton, being the, the great running back. But it was, um, I just, um, I always felt that Chicago was the place for me, the perfect place for me because of all of the tradition that came before me, of guys like Dick and Edo Bradovich and Bill George, some of those other guys. Uh, it, it really made me feel at home when I got here. You didn't start your first game. How impatient were you before the first start? I, and I ask everybody, I was asking the, the quarterbacks that question also, because you're not a, I, as, I don't see you as being a patient guy. How was that when you're sitting on the sidelines knowing what you had within your ability? Uh, it was very frustrating. Uh, Lee Koontz was uh, the starter my rookie year. And, um, you know, I would go up to Buddy, and it was maybe seven games before I started. And uh, so I'd go up to Buddy uh, in the first game all the way through that seventh game and say, Buddy, Buddy, you gotta let me play. I know I can go out there and play. And you just say, son, go sit down. We're trying to win the game. Go sit down. And so that was very frustrating. And by the time I had a chance to get out there, it was, it was a good feeling, a chance to express myself. What, what, what about your first start? How, how was that? Was it air-free? Was it a tough film session the next day? Because I talked to everybody how, you know, in our offensive meetings, Coach Ditka would run the projector. In your meetings, Buddy Ryan would run the projector. 
and they weren't always really complimentary. How was that first film session with your peers? The first film session after my, my first game, we were playing against uh, Kansas City, the Kansas City Chiefs, and the Kansas City Chiefs uh, had a running back named Joe Delaney. And Joe Delaney was tearing up the league. He was gaining like 150 to 200 yards a game. And Buddy would just run the film back and forth and say, what do you think? Uh, you're getting your first start this week. Can you stop this guy? And uh, so he's running the film back and forth. When we finally got to play the game, um, Kansas City loved this trap play they had. And on the trap play, Dick, you know you got to hit it when it's there. And they ran it one too many times. And I caught him just right, and, and I hit him. And um, you know he was out of the game. He came back in a couple of series later, and they ran the same play. And that time, I knocked him out of the game for you know the rest of the game. And um, when I got on the bus, when I got on the bus, nobody didn't say anything when I passed by him. He just touched me on the leg and said, uh, you showed me something today. That was it. That's all he ever said. That's a great compliment. What, Dick, what, do you remember your first start? And then who ran the projector when you guys were doing evaluations of your performance? Oh, it'd be, uh, uh, George Allen was our defensive coach at that time. And, uh, Can you believe we played for the same coach? That was my first head coach in the USFL, George right. Allen. Well, George was here uh, my rookie year, and then uh, that was it. He, he went on to the, the Los Angeles Rams. Uh, I had lunch with, with uh, George every Friday my rookie year, uh, and this other guy, Vern Buell, who was, you know, back during the draft in those years, we had babysitters. When you'd go to the All-American weekends, the league, both leagues started, you know, bidding for, for players. So Vern was hired by George Allen to keep an eye on me and keep the American League guys away. So we would, when I got with the Bears, we'd have lunch every Friday at the Golden Ox <clears throat> on Clybourne there. And uh, really kind of took me under my wing and I really learned a lot from him. And his whole thing was uh, his practices. I don't know when it was with you, when you were with him, but he would have a list to go over the defensive team and it could have been Three questions, three questions and answers, or it could be 25. He always believed that, you know, and I think it really helped me because the whole thing was avoiding making mistakes two times in a row. Okay, you're a rookie, you're starting, you're gonna make some mistakes, but don't make them again. And that's why I really love the guy. And when he went to the Rams, he actually was gonna trade all his draft choices for me to the Bears to get me to go, go to the Rams, and Hallis uh, would never do it. And then when I was, I was down and out, I mean, I was finished, when George was with the Redskins, he flew me into Washington. And this is how George Allen thought. This was like around January of 1974. My knee was totally gone. I had gone to about six other doctors, and they all said it's over for you. So George Allen calls and he sneaks me into DC and he gets his doctor and uh, he said, now this is January of 74. He said to the doctor, he says, do you think Dick can be ready next January in the playoffs? He was thinking a year ahead already. I mean, that's the kind of confidence and whatever. So then he had me go with one other doctor, and of course that doctor just said, after they looked at the x-ray, he said, look, you go ahead and play, you're gonna have a chance of fusing your legs stiff because it's over for you. And then I told him, I said, George, uh, I don't wanna, you know, I wanna stay here. I, I'm hoping to maybe start coaching here with the Bears, get a job, uh, and uh, he's, he just told me to be careful. And uh, he was right, because there was no job. And then I had to leave here with a bad, uh, bad taste in my mouth, sour taste. Because, but then I realized that that's just the business. Football is the business. You hear current players, you know, talking about it today. It's business. Well, thirty million dollars versus a 
25,000. I guess it is a big business. So. What were your interactions and first impressions of George Hallis, both of you? Well, my first uh, impression with George Hallis was, for me, it was I've reached the ultimate. I mean, I always wanted to play football. And as I got closer to becoming a pro football player, uh, you know, I was drafted by Denver and, uh, and the Bears, and then Denver was going to trade the choice to New England, uh, to the Jets. But so I, but I stayed with the Bears, and I mean, I thought, how could, how could anybody who's playing football not want to play for this guy? He, here's the guy sitting here that started it all. So I was, I was blessed. I, I don't care how much money I would have made somewhere else. It was for me to play for this guy who started uh, the league was something else because uh, that was my life at the time. Mike, I, I think for me, um, my first, uh, my first opportunity to meet George Hollis was um, when we. Um, we wrote him the letter after my rookie year um, to keep Buddy. And so uh, George Hallis came to the, the room and the meeting room and looked at all of us and said, you know, this is the first time I'd ever had a team of guys write me a letter about keeping a defensive coach. And he went on to talk a bit about football and his philosophy and what he felt. And um, it was very interesting. I probably had a chance to see him maybe two or three other times uh, after that. But it was very obvious when you saw George Hallis that you were looking at, you were looking at history. You were looking at someone of prominence. You were looking at um, the guy that, that basically started the whole league. So um, it's pretty, um, pretty amazing. Hey, Mike, did Ditka remind you of Hallis at all in any way, or were they separated by so much time? But, you know, in preparation for this event, I tell everybody the one common thing about the Bears from the 40s, 50s, 60s to the 20s is, is toughness. And when I went in, my, in the meeting room the first time with Ditka, I was intimidated. When I used to see um, Mr. Butkus walk around in preparation for the broadcast of the game. I was intimidated, but I wanted to impress. I mean, so what was your first reaction or interaction with Ditka? I was, um, I was so excited uh, the first time he walked in the room. I mean, I had no idea who Coach Ditka was. I just heard our guys talking about him. I heard our players talking about him, and the first thing I heard was kind of alarming. I said, who did they hire? They hired Coach Dick? Oh, my goodness. We don't want that guy. This guy's crazy. And I thought, oh, my goodness. But um, when I first heard him, when he walked in the room, um, it was, <laughs> to me, Coach Dick had the opportunity. He had the opportunity to be the greatest coach of all time because he had the fire. Now, I don't, I don't know how George Hallis coached, but I can imagine that the fire and intensity and, and passion that Coach Dick exuded that first day set the tone for exactly what he said. Three years from now, we're going to be in the Super Bowl. And that was 1982. In 85, we were there. And it was because of that vision. Well, didn't he didn't he say I got some good news and some bad news we're gonna go to the Super Bowl but a lot of you guys aren't gonna be here he, yes he did yes he did um, he said it and the very next day you saw the door revolving of guys that uh, sat in that room after coach Dicker had talked and they were like oh this guy's crazy oh that guy he doesn't know what he's doing you know what you didn't see him very long that door was revolving so fast. We were getting players that were buying into his vision, buying into the, the bare mentality of toughness and intimidation and uh, just sheer a will to win. 
that's what he talked about, talked about the Super Bowl, and um, we had a chance to live it. Which led to that uh, NFC Championship game to get there. And uh, let's roll some highlights of that because Eric Dickerson was a thorn in the Bears' side for a bit, and Buddy Ryan said, hey, listen, 50 yards, three fumbles. And your big stop here, talk about that game and about this play. Well, uh, the interesting thing about that game is uh, the Rams and Eric Dickerson were just coming off a great week uh, that past week against uh, the Cowboys. And Eric Dickerson, I think, had maybe 200 yards against the Cowboys, over 200 yards. And, and so um, I'm sitting in the room that night, and uh, one of our players come in from talking to one of the Rams players, uh, the offensive lineman, saying, hey, <laughs> your defense ready? Because uh, Dickerson's ready to run. He got 200 yards last week. He's going to get 200 tomorrow. And um, when we heard that, we just kind of looked around the room, and it got real quiet, and it got real hot. Um, so the next day we went out, we, we were ready to go, and it was a great day, and it was a wonderful day because toward the end of that game, it started to snow. And uh, to me, that was um, a sign from, from God saying, way to go. That seems to happen for Bears championship games, right? Don Pearson, and, and I invite everybody to go get the, the, the Bears Centennial scrapbook, Don Pearson and uh, Dan Pompey, both Dick McCann, Hall of Fame award-winning writers that covered the football their entire careers. Uh, but after that game, Don Pearson wrote, the snow that started to swirl around Soldier Field late in the game was only confetti sprinkled by George Hallis. <laughs> so, very aptly put. You know, when I watch highlights of both of you guys throughout your career, um, you know, the defensive tackle position is huge to the flow of the middle linebacker position and the success. I was teasing Ming McMichael last night when we used to walk out the locker room doors before kickoff, and he'd say, okay, Hamp, let's go out there and get Singletary another Pro Bowl. <laughs> and can you guys talk about the defensive tackles, Mr. Butkus and Mike, just the defensive tackles that you guys played, played with that were kind of instrumental in, your, in the success of that position? Well, when I was playing, you know, we had the old real 4-3 and uh, sometimes an over and under. Uh, and that's not only the tackles, but the defensive ends uh, can help you out because usually if it's an even man set or a 4-3, Green Bay used to run the sweeps all the time. And what would happen, they'd, Forrest Gregg would come out, slide out, and seal, try to seal you off. So uh, if your defensive end could just hold them for a second, I can get by them. But I remember in a, in a film session, Abe Gibran was running this, the projector, and it was an end sweep. And uh, I made the tackle, but then, you know, he ran the play back. Gibran runs the play back, and then he starts to run it forward. He says, Obradovich, look at yourself. And Ed, <laughs> Ed gets, he beats a crackdown from the tight end, and the guard is pulling and hits him, and his helmet starts going sideways, and then the back comes and hits him, and then the lead back hits him. <laughs> and there's nobody there, so I made the tackle, you know, like, great play, but this now, God, Obramovich, look at yourself. <laughs> he's, he's like, <laughs> he, you tell him, he'll tell that story, he tells it all the time. But that's, you know, that's the way the defenses were geared, and, uh, is to try to keep you clear. Uh, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, but uh, it's important to have some guys up there that, uh, you know, it's kind of sacrifice, and you've got, you know, we used to have a call tight and a wide, and, you know, they're giving themselves up to cover one hole, but we want you also to carry your offensive guard with you. Either way, tie them up so they're not slipping out going after your linebackers. So they were, you know, I didn't have any 
that many pro bowlers in front of me. Uh, you had Obradovich and Doug Atkins there for, for a while, but the other guys, you know, surprisingly enough, they did a pretty good job. Doug Atkins was a big, bad man. Doug Atkins was probably the closest man to Superman, that I would say. Uh, played with him my rookie year. He never worked out. If that guy would have trained properly, they would have had to ban him from the league. I firmly, I firmly believe that. He was unbelievable. And you know the funny thing, he used to, he used to tip that Tennessee whiskey a little bit, and then he knew that Hallis was in Phoenix at the Wrigley Building there every February. Coach Hallis would go there for his vacation, and Doug used to have a couple of drinks. He he would call there and just get the old man about salaries and everything else, and so. The old man, you know, never said much. So now the expansion comes, and Doug ends up in New Orleans. So Doug quits drinking. He starts working out. He's having a Pro Bowl year, and here comes what he's going to play against the Bears. He said, "I'm going to play until I get a crack at the Bears." And Randy Jackson was the the tackle over would have been over him. And he was shitting a gold brick all week long. God damn it, I got, and Doug pulls a hamstring or something the game before. So here he is on the, we're in New Orleans and here's Doug on our sideline, half in a bag, you know, and he just missed his opportunity and that was the end of his career. But he was, without a doubt, closest guy to Superman. Stronger than, all get out and never did anything. They claimed one night before a game he had 36 uh, martinis and two cases of beer. Well, Mike. <laughs> and I believe it. I believe it. You've had some defensive tackles that are kind of, uh, you know, got their own personalities too. Well, you know, Steve McMichael and Dan Hampton, I just remember those guys getting on a plane and I normally they sat behind they, they sat in front of me, I sat behind them, and I had to listen to them all the way <laughs> where we were going, whether it's Detroit or Tampa. Yeah, 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 we got the little short fat guy. We got to protect him all the time. Dan, how do your knees feel? You know, hey, buddy's always talking about, hey, Samurai, great play, you know? It's like, I'm tired of this guy. So I had to sit there and listen to those guys. And, and to be honest, it really wasn't until toward the end of my career that I really began to appreciate them for who they were. Um, Dan and, and Steve, you know, they were very unselfish. They did exactly what they were supposed to do. And I thought I was pretty good in the middle. I thought, hey, you know what, I'm, I'm pretty good. Dan got hurt one time and we missed him the rest of the year. Steve kind of was banged up. And all of a sudden, I'm thinking, wow, after the games, I'm a lot sore. Uh, after the games, I mean, I'm, I'm having to make a lot more tackles. Uh, I'm getting hit a lot more, and I'm thinking, maybe I'm not <laughs> as good as I thought I was. But uh, having those guys made all the difference in the world. And once again, with Dick was saying with Hartenstein and Richard Dent, um, on the ends when the ball is outside. I mean, I, I had the privilege of playing against uh, great guys in front of me and uh, really, uh, really appreciated them. Defensive player of the year in 11 consecutive years, leading tackler. We can go down all the, all the great accolades. I think everyone here last night w was moved to see Gale Sayers. Uh, let's talk Gale Sayers. And first of all, being in the same draft, it'll, it'll never happen again this way. It never happened before since to have two Hall of Famers picked on the same team, uh, that in the top five. Uh, but what, what did he mean to you? What's he mean to you now? And I know, Mike, you're, you're close to Gale as well. Well, you know, back then uh, in college, you, you know, I never saw the guy play. You know, like now, there's so much, like I said before, so much exposure with all these games. The uh, first time I saw Gale was uh, in New York at the Look All-American team, and uh, 
there was, uh, they were showing films, and I'm looking at this guy with the high tops, and he's running back kickoffs and everything else. I don't know who the heck he was, but uh, he was just amazing uh, on that game tape. So we came together, and of course we were play We both were at the All Star game together, and uh, got to know. He was a very quiet guy, and uh, our wives got along, and so. Uh, and we went down to the Bears camp, and you know it was kind of tough. You still had some uh, leftover guys from the '63 championship team, and uh, you know, of course, we were both number one, so they're gonna make it hard on us and show us the ropes and everything else. But Gail just ran circles around everybody, and, and uh, so then they quickly uh, adopted him <laughs> real quick. He was amazing. Uh, I, I still attribute a lot of my, uh, some success from trying to tackle him because there was, there was, I never came up uh, against a running back like him in my whole career uh, as far as a halfback. I mean, you know, and that was counting like OJ and a couple other guys. The, no one could touch this guy. And, uh, so, we, you know, it was really devastating when he got hit by Kermit Alexander. And, you know, at that time, we didn't have the best of doctors. And I think that was the beginning of, the down, of the, you know, his downfall. Uh, but he was very quiet, but really a good guy. And uh, it's a shame that we're, you know, his condition now, it's just, uh, Terrible, terrible thing he's going through and his wife and uh, wish them some uh, some Godspeed because uh, he's a great guy, great guy, hell of a runner. Mike, your thoughts? You're a very introspective individual, so I know you're thinking about it right now. Yeah, I, um, I just remember meeting uh, Gail, and, and we met, you know, several times, and, and uh, just having the opportunity to, to talk with him. Obviously, his career was, was already passed. Um, but I, I know that from talking to him that he was a, a very deep thinker and, and um, to see what I see now, it's, it, um, it, it's amazing someone that is so beautiful and gifted and talented as, as a player. And, um, you know, later in life, uh, to have that uh, happen to him is, is really, I know it's tough on everybody. It's tough on his teammates, former teammates. It's tough on the league. Uh, and as a player, um, you know, it just makes you, makes you take a step back and, and thank God every day for, for your own health and, and blessings. You know, Dick, you talk about watching Gale Sayers in practice and his role as a kick returner and punt returner. But Ray Mansfield from the Pittsburgh Steelers says he remembers Dick Buckus destroying the entire special teams of the Steelers. Everybody knows you as a great middle linebacker. What was your what was your role on special teams? Well, back then, you know, we played them all. Uh, played everything, and, uh, and except after my rookie year, they took me off the kickoff team. But all the other ones, it was great being on the kickoff return team and and the punt team because you had a guy like Gail Sayers back there. It was, uh, you know, if we could just get one or two blocks. Uh, that meant there would be one less guy to go after Gale, and he could take care of, you know, anybody that's left with his moves and speed. Um, it was fun, I, and it was another way for us. You know, our, we didn't have the strongest offense in the world other than him, so anytime we could get an advantage by the kicking game, uh, you know, he ran back punts and kickoffs uh, for scores, and. I tell you what, he was something else. Uh, now everybody is, you know, we've got specialties uh, at everything, but Gail did it all. Threw the ball, 
ran the ball, blocked all the special teams. He was something else. When the, is there is there any reminder when you see the the history of the Bears? Is there any reminder of the returning ability of Gale and the returning ability of a guy like Devin Hester? Yeah, I think it was. I think you can you can uh, say that very very much alike. Um, I don't know how how fast uh, Gale would be. You know, they never timed us in a hundred. 100 yard dash or whatever but he could run I mean flat out open up or run right at you and then the next second he was going that way he had a tremendous ability to change and Hester I think I don't know if he, he must have been fast right I mean oh, yeah. he was fast what yeah. did you you never got timed at the 40 coming in at that in those days 40 yard dash you guys didn't no. get time and Mike they, you did right coming out of college yes unless, 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 unless they did it at training camp when we were at the all-star camp but I, I but my sophomore year they never timed us well I know a guy did run fast That's you know what they used to say you know about the speed oh he's real fast and they said yeah he's fast and they can get out of the way quicker instead of making a play so well one guy that we all love and wish you were here was Brian Erlacher who ran a heck of a 40 at a 256 pound body at 6'4. Let's show some highlights of Brian Erlacher because inevitably everybody's compared. You guys are all Hall of Fame linebackers. You no doubt heard it about Bill George. You heard it about Dick. Brian heard it about both of you. Do you enjoy watching how this man played in a very unique way in a unique defense for him, revolutionized the middle linebacker position in Lovey Smith's cover two defense? Do you, do you enjoy watching Brian in his career? Oh yeah, yeah. You know, and and, and uh, you know, I just laugh when he when he started having contests to who's the best, who's the best. That's really who's the best at that year that he's playing right now. And, and and in that league, he was he was the best. Now you know how how could you measure him against Bill George or me against uh, Mike or Mike against Erlocker, you know, it's it's all bull. I mean, during that time, you know, during that time that you're playing, he was the best. That's and that's what I would say about all of us. Same thing during that time. So many variables to try to say. Well, wait a minute. Maybe maybe you could play. You could say you play in each era. You're good enough to play in each era. But to say, you know, to claim that you're the best, it's, boy, you're talking a lot of football to try to say you're the best. So it's only when you're playing. And what I always said, the, lo the longer you played, the, of course, the better you should have gotten. Well, so. you each had 25 tackle games in your career. This is the one in Arizona, widely regarded as a signature game in his career. Dick had 25 tackles against the Steelers in 1970. You loved that game, I know that. You had a 20-plus tackle game. You each had 22 interceptions, Erlacher and Butkus. That's great symmetry. Um, you didn't have that many opportunities to make plays on the ball like that, given your position, but Hall of Fame careers across the board, so I agree. You can't compare eras. You guys were all great players. Was that your signature game? That was our only win. Nineteen sixty nine. Yeah. It's it's kinda unique, Mike, when you think about that win and the Steelers game when we played the year you were retiring. The Steelers came in here, were supposed to beat us and I think out of respect for you and trying to have the proper send off, we went out and beat the Steelers also. When you think about it in the history of great linebackers, how much that team, we, that you meant to us and, and we meant to you. I'll tell you what, how bad our luck was in 69. We, we beat uh, the Steelers, so we were 1-13 and, and they were 1-13, and, and we lost the damn coin toss for first pick. <laughs> they picked up Bradshaw. <laughs> 
All right, we got about five minutes in our session. I know we got some questions from fans. If I get those real quick, while we wait for those, I want to put up a graphic of each of a portion of your Hall of Fame speeches. And we're going to start with uh, Dix. Thank you so much. I consider being inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame as the top of my dream for only on the top can I see the whole view and I can see what I have done and what I can do from now on. So that's in the 70s. Did it, did it resonate through the rest of your life did, after being on top and seeing what you can do from now on? Did you feel, you feel like you've squeezed a lot out of this life post-football? Well, I, I, th I think so. I, uh, uh, I, I, since then, I, I always felt, and, and when I uh, got involved with the Butkus Award 35 years ago, we have uh, uh, had something put on the name, you know, under the, the winner's name is that uh, receiving the Butkus Award means two things. One, you're the best of the best linebackers in the country. And two, and more importantly, is that you now have a responsibility to serve others and, and give back. Because when you reach a pinnacle like the Hall of Fame or whatever like that, whether you like it or not, I, I know uh, uh, people don't like it, but you know, kids look up to you, everything else, and you got to give back, I think. Uh, nobody reaches that level of any success without some help along the way. And what you do is when you, when you get to that point and achieve something like that, you don't hoard it and pound your chest or whatever. You go and you help somebody else attain that level or that level of, uh, of uh, competence in whatever they do. So uh, really that's, you know, and I think that has happened with a lot of the players that have, have won the Buckus Award. A lot of good guys that are giving back and you got to understand uh, whether you like it or not, people look up to you and, and you got to you know, represents yourself well. All right, Mike Singletary, uh, I was at your induction. It was one of the most inspirational speeches, forget Hall of Fame or otherwise, that I've ever witnessed. It gave me goosebumps. But here, uh, I broke it down a little bit about the men who impacted you, if you could talk about this a little bit. Um, <clears throat> I, I just feel, you know, very fortunate um, you know, first of all, coming to Chicago, obviously, it was a part of my destiny. Um, to come to a city that's, first of all, a defensive city, as I said before. It, it, the black and blue, monsters of the midway, a lot of things I didn't even know when I got here. Um, and then to have the opportunity to be coached by a buddy Ryan, who's a defensive-minded guy and, and at the same time was very tough on me for all the right reasons when I first got here uh, that helped develop me in a whole new way. And then, of course, Coach Ditka, uh, with the leadership and the vision that he had. Um, and then um, after Buddy Ryan leaving, um, Vince Tobin and Dave McGinnis, Dave McGinnis really became a friend of mine. Uh, that helped me in, at a different part of my career. So I am, I just feel very fortunate that it just seems as though the Lord just kind of continued to put great men in my life to help either show me the light or light a fire in me to help me go to the next level. All right, we have only time. I'm gonna use one of these questions. Uh, from fan from Oak Park, Jamie wants to know the best prank you or a group of teammates ever played on another teammate or coach. Best prank. These guys aren't pranksters. They They're got pranks pranksters. pulled on them. 
Oh, I guess the best prank uh, that I pulled on uh, Doug Buffon was down at training camp in uh, Rensselaer, Indiana, when I set his door on fire after a team party. And I claimed that I didn't do it. And uh, it was him and Ross Brubacher were rooming together. And they said, you know, nobody saw me do it. So I said, whatever. And uh, so, yes, it, we know it was you because we went in the, in the bathroom there and in the garbage there was some uh, tobacco in there, chewing tobacco. So, uh, but they, I, they never, they never could prove it. And, um, and Ross Brubacher uh, ended up being an attorney, you know, and he's giving me this out. And I'm saying it's statue limitations, buddy. So that was the perfect thing. It was funnier than hell. Wasn't it? How about you, Mike? All right, I'm going to be boring <clears throat> on this one. I, I never pulled a prank on anybody because I didn't like pranks. And I, I didn't like pranks because, you know, I didn't want to be surprised. I didn't, uh, you know, guys pull pranks on me from time to time, but I, I just, I just never pulled a prank on anybody else. I, I just didn't. All good. All right, one last thing before we go, and thank you so much, everybody. Thank you to these guys. Let's throw up Brian Erlacher's Hall of Fame speech as well, a portion of that if we can, the graphic, because I think it says a lot. The most coveted position in pro football for a defensive player is to play middle linebacker for the Chicago Bears. Just think about it, the history of this position, unmatched by any other team. Would you guys agree? Absolutely. Well, uh, I, I, I guess I would say so. People would probably argue with you about uh, the Steelers linebackers, uh, but uh, I don't think so. You got that right. Mike Singletary, Dick Butkus. Thank you so much, everybody. Give him a hand. <laughs>